Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Notice back in in our text in verse 4, it says, So the children of Israel, they put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths. These are the uh, fertility gods that the those in Mesopotamia that they worshipped, the Baals and the Ashtoreths. One's a male deity, the Baals, and the Ashtoreth is a female de- deity of of uh, inf- or, or fertility. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ. In today's scripture, we see that God's people did not feel they rejected the Lord. They felt they only added the worship of other gods to their worship of the Lord. Samuel called on Israel to turn their backs on these other gods and serve him only. God tells us we are to worship no other gods. Is it just as possible for us to think that we are doing something in the name of God when we are offending Him? The reality is that we end up as idol worshipers. God is looking for true worshipers who look to Him for all their needs. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Asians, it could have been anybody else, the Irish. It wouldn't have mattered because the same sin nature dwells in each of us, regardless of our background. But there was something they had to do. Notice this conditional statement. Notice he said, If you return to the Lord with all of your hearts, put away the foreign gods, the Ashtoreths from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord. And if you serve him only, then and only then he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. There is a condition. If you do this, then I will do this. And I love the fact that God puts us in a place like that. He, doesn't, he, do, he just doesn't say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of everything for you. I'm going to give you everything. You don't have to do a single thing. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. I'm going to give you everything. You can be totally dependent upon me. No, God says, I'm going to do certain things, whether you like it or not, and other things I'm not going to do unless you do certain things. And we see this in Colossians 2, just to put uh, some application on our own lives. What did Paul say to the Colossians in chapter 3, beginning in verse 5? Notice, he says, put to death your members which are on the earth. And you're like, what members are you talking about? He lists them. It's a really wonderful list. Fornication. (laughs) uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Did you ever walk like that before you came to Christ? This described me. And unfortunately, it describes some Christians. It's really important that we take our walk with Christ very seriously. 
He is a God of grace. There's no doubt about that. But we cannot walk in, in this cheap grace that some people purport and even promote. Grace is not cheap. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's by then we have grace because of what Christ did. It's not a license to continue in sin at all. In fact, the more I understand about what he did on the cross for me, the more I'm repulsed by sin in my own life first. And sin is pleasurable for a season, isn't it? If it were horrible every time, there'd be no problem. (laughs) But it's like the candy in front of the baby. Can't resist it. And then we put it in their mouth, and then they realize it's licorice, and they hate licorice. But notice, they are responsible to do certain things just as we are responsible to do certain things. So what did he say in verse 8 of Colossians 3? He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Notice, you are to do it. Wait a minute. Why don't you do it, God? No, he says, I want you to do it. You put off these things. You put off anger. You put off wrath. You put off malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Before I came to Christ, I had a filthy, rotten mouth especially when I was in my late teens and early 20s, rotten, just rotten. I wonder how I could even eat with that mouth. It was so dirty. And yet when the Lord came into my life, it was the first, one of the first things that, it, you know, does, can anybody relate to this? I know you can. When you give your heart to Christ, there are certain things in your life he just took, he just took away. They just like, they, they vanished. Then there's a few things that linger few things that linger, but one of the things that he took from me immediately was my rotten mouth. It was almost like he had a filter right before my mouth and my heart, and before I'd even say anything, I would really be thinking about my language, and I was aware of it for the first time in my whole life, and he helped me. I mean, that was something that he did. I can't take credit for it, but notice, he says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his deeds. You have put off the old man. Have you put off the old man with his deeds? And notice, and have put on the new man. Oh, there's something else we have to do. We have to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is in all. But notice in verse 12 what he says in Colossians 3. He says, but therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. I love that. Do you know that you're holy and beloved? You are holy. God has made you holy. He has sanctified you and he is continuing to sanctify you. And one day you will be ultimately sanctified as you're in his presence. But he has set you apart. I love the idea of being set apart, don't you? God sets you apart. That's what holy means. That's what consecration is. You're set apart from something, but not just from something, but to something. That's why he goes here and he says, now that you've put off those things, don't just put off those things and set in a vacuum. No, you put off those things and you put on something else. You put on the tender mercies of Christ. What does he say? Put on the tender mercies as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, which is patience. Anybody impatient here? Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Wow, these are pretty heavy things. You know, you can go by this list very quickly, but I would encourage you to read Colossians chapter 3. And look at these lists and think about them. Don't just read them. Think about them and say, Lord, what ways am I, where are my issues in this list? What are the things I need to be concerned about? Pick one or two of them and be cognizant of it throughout the day. Let him work on you that way. 
Don't just read it in like a textbook. It's not a textbook. It's more than that. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must must do. For above all these things, but above all these things, excuse me, put on love, agape love, which is the bond of perfection. Love is such a wonderful thing. It's a, one of the most powerful things in the world. Love does make the world go round. God's love. And when we walk in that love, an agape love, the word there is agape or agapeo, that when, when, when we walk in that love, people need to see that because it's, it's getting more rare as time goes on. People's hearts are getting harder. They're getting more divisive. Things are getting really heated up out there. Notice back in our text in verse 4, it says, So the children of Israel, they put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths. These are the uh, fertility gods that the, those in Mesopotamia that they worshipped, the Baals and the Ashtoreths. One's a male deity, the Baals, and the Ashtoreth is a female de- deity of, of uh, inf- or, or fertility. But notice that the, the children of Israel, they needed a governor they needed a governor or someone that would hold them accountable. Turn back with me to the book of Judges in chapter 2. It's just a, uh, not too far away. In Judges chapter 2, and I would encourage you as you read this, make a note of it, star this passage, and read it often, because this is such a remarkable scripture passage, actually. Uh, and looking specifically at Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 13, because this is where the... Um, this is where the, the children of Israel were doing this roller coaster of morality. They were in and out of it, in and out of it. And that's what the book of Judges was all about. But notice what it says in Judges 2, verse 7. It says, and this is when Joshua, right before he died, he gave, he told them, he says, and so the people, verse 7, served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Remember, Joshua was like a judge to them. He was sort of like a Moses, right? And so as long as these men were alive, they were kind of all doing the right thing. So as long as all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel, notice in verse 8 it says, Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. They buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation... And here, look at verse 10, star this, because this is chilling, because I believe we're living in this reality right now in America. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, notice, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel, and even scarier still, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had bought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all all around them. And they bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Isn't that what we just read? Now they come, kind of come full circle. Now they turn from those things, which is a really good sign. And that's a good thing because because of Samuel's character and his uh, judgmentship or his oversight, really, he was really keeping them in line. And sometimes we need somebody like that in our life. Maybe it's another brother or sister in Christ who's been in the Lord a lot longer than we have, and they're really good friends. Value those relationships, especially in the Lord, because they can encourage you, and they've been through things that you haven't been through yet. 
that we can comfort others with the comfort we've been comforted of God, right? Isn't that what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? And so it's important that we do that. We need, sometimes we need these people in our lives and cherish them when you have when you have them, because they are there for God's purposes. Notice in verse 5, and, and Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Now this place, Mizpah, was really equidistant between, uh, between Ramah, Samuel's home, and Bethel. And so all these three cities were directly north of Jerusalem, if you were looking at a map. And, so, and here is really what intercession is all about, isn't it? Samuel prays for them. That's what intercession is. You're interceding on the behalf of someone else. When you pray for a friend, when you pray for a family member, what you're doing is interceding. Or maybe you're praying that God would supply their needs, supplication. Praying that God would bless them somehow with something. And I would encourage you to never give up on prayer, folks. It is a great privilege. Something I need to do a lot more of. And I dare to say that something probably all need to do more of. So verse 6, they gathered together at Mizpah, and they drew water. They poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. And this is a good sign when they are confessing, really. Isn't that what this is? They're confessing. We have sinned against the Lord. We've done all these things. We've been serving the Baals. We've been serving the Ashtaroths. We've been doing these wicked things. And finally, they fast. They're, they're praying. They're confessing their sin. And isn't it true? If we confess our sin, isn't that what John said in his first epistle, first letter? If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of all unrighteousness and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll forgive us, but we have to confess it. That kind of leads you to believe, well, if I don't confess it, am I forgiven? Well, it doesn't sound like it. That may rub you a little wrong, but as long as you're aware of sin, confess it. Now, does that mean if you sin and you don't have time to confess it and you get hit by a car, does that mean you're going to go to hell? No. But as often as you know, come clean before the Lord. Isn't that what it's really about anyway, just coming clean with him? You can't, you can't lie to him. You can. People do it all the time. But you can't lie to one who knows all things. If you read Psalm 139 and you think you got God hoodwinked at any time, you need some counseling. Or you need a big blue pill. You need something. Because you're not thinking right. He knows all things. You can't fool him. So don't try. Oh, God won't see me because I do it in the dark. I guess he sees the dark as if it's light. He made the darkness. <laughs> he made the light. He knows everything. Right? So as they're pouring out this water, this is really like a drink offering. And in that time, uh, they used to pour out drink offerings to false gods. And God certainly was against that. You can see that in Isaiah 57, verse 6, and also in Jeremiah 7, verse 18. But if you look even at the, the, the law in Exodus 29, part of their offerings was a drink offering. Uh, for instance, in Exodus 29... It talks about give offering a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. And what does it say in verse 40? With one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. The drink offering was to be poured out on the altar, not to consume, but to pour out 
It's a sacrifice, isn't it? Because it's wine, it's food, it's, it's, your, it's a lamb. Is that a sacrifice? You better believe it's a sacrifice because you'd much rather drink that wine and eat that lamb. Lamb chops, deep fried. No, in, in a pan with just a little bit of oil and some flour and put that in like one of those cast iron skillets and it gets nice and brown on both sides. It's really good. So that was part of their sacrifice, a drink offering. When we look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, at the end of David's life, you remember David in in, uh, 2 Samuel 23, he's recalling the men that God had uh, given to him, his mighty men. These men who had been with him that had done great things, great military feats. And in that chapter, it recalls a moment when earlier in uh, David's life, when he was running from the Philistines, it says that David was in, this is Second Samuel 23, beginning in verse 14. It says, David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, remember, he's here with his two or three hundred or four hundred men, his mighty men. And there were three men that really stood out above all those men. Three men that really loved David, would do anything for him. Can you imagine what a great group of guys this must have been? It wasn't a good old boys club. They knew David was a man of integrity, so they weren't, you know, you know, standing around the, the campfire at night getting loaded and saying filthy jokes. David was a man of integrity, but notice his, these three men loved him so much. David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem. Boy, he knew Bethlehem. When he was a little boy, he used to shepherd those, that flock out in the fields. And he would reach down in those cold, on those uh, you know, hot summer days, and he'd reach down the brook and pull up nice cold water from Bethlehem in a stream, and he'd be like, oh, that's so refreshing. If I could only have that. Have you longed for something like that? And just as he's saying that the three mighty men uh, broke through the camp of the Philistines, somehow they broke through either unawares or whatever, they drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they took it and they brought it back to David. Can you imagine? And nevertheless, he wouldn't drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. It was, Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he wouldn't drink it. It was like a drink offering. He just poured it out. And to, that, to the men, you know, they might have been tempted to think, Are you kidding me? We risked our lives? But who, who is he pouring the water out for now? To the Lord. Isn't the Lord worth it? think he is. And notice that it says in uh, chapters, or verse 6 uh, of our text there, it says that, and Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. And this brings us back to, um, we know that Eli was the judge right before Samuel, because Samuel, as a young boy, five or six years old, his mother takes him, Hannah, she takes him to Shiloh, and he's there with Eli. And Eli judged Israel for 40 years, and then he passes from the scene, we saw that in a few chapters back. But, Saul, but Samuel's ministry was really twofold. He, he would judge in civil things, and he would also command the military to go out and vanquish their enemies. And that those were two, two specific things that Samuel was to do. In verse 7 it says, So when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, 
The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the children of Israel heard of it, they were very afraid of the Philistines. See, the Philistines had this iron business down pretty well. They knew how to work with iron, and they had iron chariots, and they had tools that the, that the, the children of Israel didn't have. They didn't have this kind of skill that these guys had. So whenever they went to battle with them, they were naturally very nervous because you're going up against a very formidable foe. Their weapons are more advanced than you are. It's sort of like going out with tanks when you know that they got rocket launchers and nuclear bombs. You can bring out as many tanks as you want. One bomb in the center will incinerate all of them. You get my point. And that's kind of the way that they felt. So they were naturally very afraid. But I think it's interesting that whenever the people of God repent, like they had at this time, and they started to stand up, the enemy will always take notice of the silent majority standing up. The enemy will always take notice when the church stands up and does what God wants, has ordained for it to be and to do. In fact, those are the times that we really find out what we're made of, and hopefully we find out that we're nothing and that God is everything. God has never won battles by a great military export, you know. It's always been by a few, by a remnant, by something very insignificant, like David going before Goliath. Everybody was shaking in their boots, but, oh, this young teenager, he looks at Goliath, and he's like, you know what? I've taken out bears and lions out when I was in, out in the, in, the, in the fields with my sheep. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Let me at him. I'm going to take his head off now. And he's like, all the men are like, <laughs> and, and they're feeling pretty small at this point. And David's like, no, let me at him. Well, put on my armor. You know, Saul puts his armor on. I can't deal with this. Just give me a sling and some stones in my sling. I'll take him out. And sure enough, he goes out there. And, and I just, I want to see this in replay. And I want to see it in slow motion and glory. I want to see the moment when David was running. Can you just see it? I mean, I got to do this, okay? So hang in there. He's got the sling, and he's in slow motion. He's got that big rock, and it's right in there. And he's got that little leather pouch, and he's got that thing, and he's coming after Goliath. And the expression on the face, too, will have, it's all like, is it going to work? And bam, right in the center of the forehead. I mean, I mean, so anyway, it gets, I'm a guy, so I get into that, right? You ladies are going, uh, Whatever. But every guy in the room is there with me, right? You're with me. Then he takes out the sword and he cuts off his head. It's a great show. So anyway, so what was my point? (laughs) Just kidding. But whenever the people of God stand up, the enemy will always know it, and they'll come after you. They'll come after you. Whenever you're doing God's will, the enemy's going to come after you. And these guys, their hearts were right, and God was going to deliver them. God was going to to deliver them from their enemies. And so, verse 8, the children of Israel, they said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us, that he he may save us from the hand of our enemies. It reminds me of that wonderful verse in 2 Chronicles 7. Remember when um, uh, Solomon, God appears to Solomon, and the Lord appeared in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer. This is around the time when Solomon was dedicating the temple when it was built. God says to him, I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up heaven and earth, 
or when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will do what? They will humble themselves. If they do, notice the condition here. If I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.